Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Hello from me, Mark Woods. Welcome once again to the MVP cast. Thank you so much for downloading the podcast. If you want to find out what's happening in the world of British basketball, just head to our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for MVP 24-7. Now, our guest is a former giant of the British Basketball League, since retired, but he can't keep a good man down. Occasionally, he's had to be my broadcasting teammate. Now, our part of the Sky Sports team, That'll be bringing you the trophy finals this weekend in Glasgow. So let's say, all right, how about some clotted cream and cider? I'm not going to try that. <laughs> Welcome to the one and only Anthony Rohari, Ant. It was a really strong start, start attempt of the accent too, Mark. I thought, I thought you were going to come and give us a 10 out of 10 then. Not bad, not bad at all. I bailed. I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. Um, let, let me do, let's talk broadcasting first. There's so many areas we can go to. Let's talk broadcasting. you got two games this weekend. Emirates Arena, Sunday afternoon, live on Sky Sports, BBL Trophy Final, London against Cheshire, WBBL Trophy Final, London against Seven Oaks. And um, I mean, you and I, be, you and I were come to it, in, I think five years ago. So pretty much as soon as you, you retired, you went into this. I mean, let, let's start first and foremost. How did it happen? Um, I think a little bit by by accident, really. I had a little interest in it. Um, my last couple of years of playing because I was injured <laughs> a fair bit and I, I was uh, I wasn't suiting up as much as I would like and uh, there was an opportunity um, for me to do a couple of games um, with my now partner Dan Routledge um, and, it, and it when I retired in 2016 it started as a hobby and um, you know got given the opportunity to, to come on there and, and do color and um, it was really lucky with the timings of things the the league itself the, the BBL was was looking to expand its 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 reach uh, you know with, with BBL players etc and um and I sort of got in at that time really um but that's what I would say without being too patronizing sometimes you've got to put the yards in and do things for no monetary or financial reward whatsoever and I think that's where the the the, the misconception comes with people maybe now now they'll do something in media for a year oh that didn't work out um I'll try something else I did this for years and years um for, for free and as a hobby and it just developed for me over time um I think my interest was was always with the British Basketball League but I wanted to be better at it as well so a lot of extra times behind the scenes and, and I was really lucky and being partnered with Dan Routledge as well he's worked with um a lot of people over the years and I was able to, to take bits from there and um, and I'd, I'd worked with you know other pros as well over the years including yourself Mark and uh, and it was just it's just one of those things where I just developed and, and, and grew in confidence and, and now I'm in a I feel like I'm in a very privileged position I mean you always showed up prepped when you were doing the season we did a lot in free sports the year that they had the rights for the the, the BBL and so I mean for a game like this or two games like this this weekend, you know, it's gonna be a big audience, big crowd, etc. I mean, just describe your week in terms of preparation for the game. Because as you were a player, you know, you had practices, you, you scouted, you, you got ready for a game. What's it like for two big finals on TV? Yeah, I mean, it, it's gradual. I, it kind of gets. Um, it starts. I'll, I'll start looking at things now. Um, or, you know, Monday, Tuesday, um, and then it gets heavier for me as the week goes on. So when I get to like Thursday, Friday, I think my mind knows as well. It's uh, it's almost game time. And it's almost go time. So I really like to to look at the statistics. Um, and uh, you always have the statistics in front of you as a commentator as well. But it, it's really hard to just just throw something out on live TV, and you've got to be one hundred percent 
sure that that is right as well. So it's really preparation really does give you that. It gives me that added confidence as well where I can deliver it and say it with certainty. So I really like to understand that. And narrative as well. For me as a color commentator, that's probably the biggest thing um, I probably didn't won't need to know any stats um, working with Dan Routledge because he's Mr. Statman. <laughs> but where where my job really comes in is 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 bringing color to to the game, right? And, and narrative is everything. So the more I know about those individuals, how the team's doing, you know, has there been any adversity? Is there is there any dramas going on? Like it really helps me put together um, a narrative to 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 essentially display my thoughts of what's going on in the game and the wider. Um, circumstances of the game to to the audience at, at home. So my preparation comes in lots of different forms. I'm not a massive social media guy, but I know I need social media. So I I'm, Twitter is probably my the most social media I'm on, um, and and I use it as a resource. Essentially, it, it will tell you so much um, of what's going on, and even players' mentalities as well, which I think all contributes and and, and helps my preparation um, come game time. How much do you go outwards to get? advice or tips because i know when i when i started commentating i reached out to a couple of people actually in the nba to to talk me through things and give me nuggets about how they prepare and and just the things that i want to have in front of me during a game and sometimes i know i listen to podcasts of commentators who you know, share their insights i mean where else do you kind of go to get the best of the best or you know to to think well i could steal that or that's a good idea or i can learn from this person or that person same thing as I used to do as a player, I think. Um, you know, my position, I was a powerful instruct center, so I watched a lot of game tape on uh, on Hakeem Olajuwon and Kevin Garnett. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't reach out to them and ask them for an individual one-on-one, but I do the same with commentary. I'll, I'll often listen to NBA games, and that's the pinnacle, right, the, the NBA. Mm-hmm. So I'll listen to how the, the mannerisms, the language of the color commentators, how they, uh, you know, how they come across... Um, even to some of the local ones too, you know, when I don't know Vince Carter or Grant Hill is is doing their, um, you know, classified as their home team, they're still not so far biased. And, and I always want it to be. I don't want to be a homer in the sense of I don't want to be biased. I want my emotions to be neutral, and I want my my projection of the game to be neutral as well. And that can be incredibly hard, especially if I've played for for some of the the teams. But I always feel like commentary. You have to be quite selfless, and that it's not about you in that. You know, you've got to put the, the 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 viewer first. So I always try and put my empathetic hat on and think, what if I was a neutral here? What would I want to hear? Um, so I like to to take from other guys. Um, it, it, you know, YouTube. You know, whatever, whatever games I'm watching. That's how I really prepare. I wouldn't say I have a a go-to person where I could reach out to because I think it's important to have your own style as well. But um, I haven't I haven't got that one. I would say mentor or somewhere where I could reach out to from a color commentary pers- perspective. How much does it sort of help? You know, you're a year and a half into Sky with the B, B, or the Buzz team, and it's you know it's a tight little group. You know, Drew's joined the party a bit more full time this year, but you know you've had Nat, you've had Kieran, you've got Dan, you've got Mick Brace, who's a great producer behind the scenes. And does that make it a bit easier when it's same faces every week? Yeah, I think so, and the confidence as well that they have in you as well. It's it's um, it. It adds to your development, especially with Mick. Um, he, you know, he wants to throw me in and everything. You know, whenever there's a man down, he's like, "Yeah, Ant will do it," and I'm like, um, "I, I think to myself, am I qualified for this?" I'm like, "But yeah, you'll be great. You'll be great." <laughs> so it's I've done things in the media that I've never done before, but it's been such a good experience for for me. And I think we've got that team now that yes, um, 
if someone is is not there, then then someone else can fill in. Um, I think there's certain roles that you can't just walk into. I think Darren Routledge's job and um, and Nat Coombs's job and probably where you're best suited actually might. But all of us couldn't do that. You know, we, I think you, there's a certain level of expertise and professionalism you'd have to have in order to do those roles. So what I'm not saying is we could ever step into that role, but I think all of our, you know, Kieran, Drew, myself, you know, we've got all interchangeable roles where we're comfortable with each other and the relationship and the rapport. And that's really unique, the same as basketball. The more and more you play with someone, the comfortable, and it's just like an intangible, um, I don't know, connection you have with someone. That's the same in, in commentary as well, I would say, which is, um, you know, our team now is just is, is close-knit. It was a little bit harder last year because we had a lot more guests last year. And the guests would often go on press, which was what we call courtside, but they'd also come to, to be the third commentator as well. And that was difficult because there is no rapport there. Um, you know, you, you, the, the knowledge would be there because they wouldn't, they wouldn't be there unless they understood the basketball game. But the timings, which, as you know, is, is huge in commentary, that was a lot harder. But now we've got a constant. Drew is that third man. It's a lot easier. We, we know each other you know, very, very well in that sense. Um, yeah, Mick, uh, Mick Brace. He is the producer on a week-to-week basis. I mean, he was he was our producer when I was doing the Sky and Sports ah, okay. NBA twenty years ago. I mean, it's quite frightening to believe. So you know, it's, he knows his hoops, which always really helps. Um, that relationship with Dan. I mean, obviously, you started really commentating with him. Um, I mean, you guys will sometimes drive to games together. I mean, do, do you ever kind of get bored of his voice? <laughs> I don't know. It's a. <laughs> Do you sit in the car, you know, pretend you're commentating on the traffic? <laughs> we do. We, you know, it's, it's often we we went to a game before. Um, I don't know, three hour drive away or whatever, and we've talked the whole way there. And I remember saying, Dan, I, said, Dan, I think my voice is going. And he's looked at me like, come on, rookie, get it get it together sort of thing. But we, we, we just got a natural, um, yeah, I think a natural interest. And I would classify us as being friends now as well. So I think that helps. Um to a certain extent as well because I think we genuinely enjoy talking to each other when we're not on comm so yeah I think it just makes everything else a lot easier when we're when we are actually uh, when we actually go live it does it does come across it does come across thank um, you about your playing days I mean you went on scholarship to University of North Georgia but yeah you were a you were a fan turned player before you you sort of went to the states and then came back as a pro because you were that kid at, you know, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years of age. You used to go to the pavilions in Plymouth, hometown team, and watch them and then think, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And um, it was, you know, I, I would say a piece of our heart would go if um, if it is confirmed that the, the Plymouth Patriots won't be playing at the pavilions next year. Um, I do wonder... If the pavilions wasn't there, would I have? Would it have sparked me inside? So you know, the, the pavilions. We used to, I used to go there, thousand people, fifteen hundred people, young kid, not really understanding basketball. You know, the glitz, the glamour, the fireworks, everything. I just loved about it: the smell, the feel, um, and that was what ignited that interest for me of, of wanting to start playing basketball. Now, would I still have had that same excitement if I'd went and watched Plymouth Raiders play in a sports hall with four hundred people? I'm not sure. Um, I want to say my love for basketball would have, would have overrided that, and I would have, I would have, you know, found a way. But I'm not sure is the answer to that question mark. So, I think if the pavilions is gone, um, yeah, a piece of my heart, and I know a lot of the fans will will, will be um, sad to to see that go. But um, you know, such as life, I think things uh, always, you know, have to come come to an end. 
Um, but no, I was that fan. And, and it was really quite a remarkable and a little bit of luck for me as well that I was coming back from football practice from my secondary school. I was tall, lanky, skinny, uncoordinated. And my peach just said, oh, you know, you should try basketball. And I remember saying, no, I'm okay, thanks, sir. I'm too busy trying to score goals. And he's like, no, I think you should play basketball. And I was like 13 at the time. Um, typical British guy starting late. And that was it. I remember going to practice and I just got bitten by something. Um, I loved it. Every day I was out and I always felt like I was playing catch up with, with those guys that had been playing for, you know, five, six, seven years longer than I have. And um, it was uh, the first year I wasn't very good. Like, again, I was uncoordinated and um, I got pretty good within a year or so, under 14s, 15s. And um, the next year after that, I was, I was I had an opportunity to practice with the first team. So... And I remember sitting there sometimes before practice, nervous, super nervous, because I idolized a lot of those guys. Um, I did. They were my role models. They were my heroes. And I got a very um, early introduction to, to what a pro could be like. In it. And it put me in um, a lot of those hard practices, too, where you feel like you weren't good enough. It, it put me in, a, I think, a good stead for, 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 for my years to come. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, the, the venue. I mean, I know my understanding when speaking to people at the club, a couple of venues being considered you know the cost of the pavilions probably unsustainable at the patriots in their current form i mean it's yeah, i remember talking to kieran about this when we were commentating the last weekend and you know, he talked about you know the concrete floor no one will miss the concrete floor and it, it's a bit <laughs> odd when you're playing in what is an actual theater it's not actually you know an arena it's an actual theater but did you worry that i mean you sort of hinted at it there that while you know the Patriots are trying to rebuild out of you know what was the the, the flames of or the ashes of of the Raiders, that it could it could be tricky, you know, when fans have have got used to this amazing, probably the best game day experience in the BBL, if they end up playing in a in a, a warehouse or a university gym or something of that ilk. Yeah, no, um, I think um, for the for the record as well, I was one of the the supporters as well. I think when the Plymouth Raiders. Um, decided that they, they could no longer partake in the, the British Basketball League and, and the, the Patriots come on board. I was, look, there's professional basketball in my hometown. That is fantastic. You know, when club people, I think people don't understand sometimes when clubs go into liquidation or administration, they don't come back. You know, they're, they're a lot of the time, mm. they're done. It's, it's over. Um, the next pro team is 120 miles away up uh, the M5 to, to Bristol. So uh, for me, it was just amazing that they, they kept it alive. That Patriots team started this season, the the, 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 the whipping boys, essentially, you know, questioning why did they do this? Should they have did this? Now look at them. An unbelievable run, unbelievable spirit around the, the club. You know, you look at videotapes, and I've been at, I've sat at the pavilions over Christmas, and I sat there for, there was a 10 seconds of me, I felt, wow, these guys have kept this alive, and this is still going. Now you take the pavilions out of the equation, Maybe they are in a sports hall for a year, two years, but they're alive, Mark. They're alive, and, and who knows what the possibilities could hold. I think when you're a club and you're still alive, anything is, is, is possible. And I think even in this short snippet of what we've seen this year, the, the Plymouth Patriots have got an abundance of, of passion and enough drive to, to improve the situation. I mean, being at your hometown team, I mean, what an opportunity for you. But, see, there were highs and lows amongst all of that as well, though. The highest of highs and the lowest of lows, in all honesty, I think um, I, I transferred over from France. Um, 
I got to play for Gary Stronach, who's now the assistant coach at the Newcastle Eagles. And um, he essentially just, I don't want to say fed me the dream, but he just said to me, look, you know, this is your home, home, home crowd. You know, we're having a difficult season. You know, it would be amazing if you came back. And I remember I had, um, uh, I think it was Switzerland, um, Germany, a couple of other teams that were inquiring of my services. And um, anyway, I, I remember having a coffee with Gary and thought, I want to be, I want to be home. And this was after being away for a long time, being in America before. And um it started from there essentially, and um, the next year they brought me back, and I was the team captain, and 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 yeah, I got to put on the jersey that that was my my schoolboy dream essentially, and it was amazing, and I was, I was player of the of the year that year, um, and then uh, where the lows come in is is when you're winning and when you're producing, you are the you feel like the king, you are the golden boy, um, but unfortunately for me, I experienced them um, when you are not. Um, able to do that i.e i was injured and this was an injury i picked up through playing for my my, my hometown as well plymouth raiders it wasn't a, a drunken accident or <laughs> it was competing for for them um with the jersey and uh when i when i had my first knee surgery and i came back that the um for pre-season i wasn't ready yet and um still the pain was was, was quite unbearable and and um unfortunately there was there was um let's just say the, the contracts weren't um abided by and it wasn't so much the money for me, I, and, and maybe I'm naive in that sense that I, I get it, sport is, is business, etc. But I thought that maybe there would be a little bit of different in terms of for me because I'd always turn down other contracts to play elsewhere to stay in my hometown, and, and it, unfortunately, it just it didn't fit out that way. So um, it wasn't just about the money, and, and I, I think the principle of the thing that's what made me what motivated me to want to leave. And that's what I did, and it was the it was the best thing that I think could have happened in my career. It was a it was a point where I was just getting healthy again, and um, and I got to resurrect my career essentially. Um, and that was the move to to the Leicester Riders. We'll talk about all the trophies there in a minute. But I mean, winding back before you came back, I mean, you went to university, North Georgia. I mean, the Americans can't expect you to arrive with this, you know, Downton Abbey accent. What do they make of a <laughs> West Country accent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I had a thicker self accent back back then too. So I think uh, yeah, there was a lot of um, miscommunications, etc. Um, but no, that was a, even a story in, in itself. Um, I was supposed to go to prep school over in the in New New Hampshire area, and so basically, prep school is a year before I would give you exposure because that was the issue for me. I was not only from England, I was from freaking Plymouth, which is two hundred and fifty <laughs> miles away from London. So and there wasn't hoops fixed. There wasn't. There wasn't guys, even like yourself, there wasn't a Twitter. There was nothing like that. I remember my dad had to record my games with a camcorder, which did VHS. We had to take that VHS. We had to put it on a DVD. Then we had to move the DVD from a UK region to a US region. So it was it was it was so hard to get exposure, and I was a guy excelling too. Um, you know, I mean this in the not, most non-arrogant way, but I was averaging like thirty-seven points a game and and, and close to twenty rebounds from, from in my own age group. And uh, even England weren't really too interested because again, I was two hundred miles away. So <laughs> it was really difficult for me to 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 get any type of exposure. And uh, I remember when I'd go to um, ho- um not hoop six, uh, rough and ready, which was like mm. tournaments in London. And you know, I would I would perform there, and people were like, who's this? Who's this farm boy? Who's this guy? Like no one never, no one heard of me. Um, it was just so much harder back then. Um, and uh, and then I was it was, it was um, I, and basically what happened is my my junior coach um, took it upon himself to take me out to America and um, 
I got to tour a few schools and we, we signed with one. And anyway, six weeks before I was supposed to go, because of, I was an international student, they couldn't offer me the full scholarship. And the, the school was 35,000 US dollars a year to go there. And I think they could only pay for 70% of it or something like that mm. because I was international. And look, I'm very lucky. I'm from a very loving, supporting family. But my dad is a bus driver. My mum works in a nursery. So there was no way in the world they could come up with that money within a six-week period. So that was my dream. I thought my dream was over. So um, I had went to Marjons, which was a powerhouse in um, in Busa, which is now Bucks. Um, back back in the day, and um, so I went to school um, there for a year, and it was only through playing through <laughs> through Marjons that the Oxford University head basketball coach saw me, and he sent my my game tape over to some schools, and one of them was was University of North Georgia. They flew me over, and um, I had I had a couple of Division One schools as well recruiting me, and it was I think it's because I was so close to going there the first time, and it got taken away from me. I wanted to snap that opportunity straight away, and when I went over to North Georgia too, the school was beautiful. Um, very affluent area, and they played a good conference, and I played well on my tryouts, so it just felt right. So I signed there, and um, I think what I got from Division Two as well. I come there as a freshman, started on the bench. By January, I'd, I'd earned myself a starting spot, and I was a starter for the, for the whole four years. Um, that's what kind of I think Division Two can help you in that sense because you're so the responsibility is given to you a lot earlier, um, and that's what I would say. If you can get through the tough times that you're going to experience there. Then it can it can pay off uh, pay dividends you know later down the line. Plus, it, yeah, it was nowhere near the big city, so kind of a bit like Plymouth. <laughs> yes, it was. It was in the mountains. Yeah, it was about seventy miles north of Atlanta, and yeah, there was definitely not a big city there. That's for sure. Seventy, <laughs> try hundred and seventy. I think you're you're that's yeah, rose tinted glasses. I've been through that part. It's near the the the, the, ten, or the Tennessee mountains and things like that. It's a great place though. Great, but it's, it's, nowhere, it's not near anything. No, it's up there. Yeah, it's definitely up there. <laughs> um, I mean, Leicester was your big point. I mean, I, I think if I'm counting correctly, six six trophies in five years there, and that that was the point where you know riders were starting to build that dominance under well, Paternos too. You know, they're preparing to move into the, the Morningside Arena and putting all the ducks in a row for that. I mean, it was it was a great team, and there was great players coming through, and you could sense the buzz around you know Rob's work there to to really make riders the powerhouse that they are now um of those five teams which was your favorite 2012-13 season yeah the first one the first one i don't know if it's the the first love cuts the deepest i'm not sure but it just <laughs> everything was just so right mark and um it was just a it was a marriage it was just a perfect arrangement i mean because the um, Leicester Riders had their, their their key import player John Fraley. He had torn his ACL, mm. so it was only through luck, timing, you know, fate, whatever you want to call it, that he went out. And just at this time, I was recovering. I had the opportunity. They they decided to forego their import spot and um, and roll the dice with with um, with me. And uh, you you interviewed me after the game. It, it all started at the BBL Cup Final 2013. You. Um, I remember you interviewed me after the game. You said, "Anthony, you were you know here twelve months ago. You you you'd lost. You know, you you're back twelve months later. A different team. How do you feel?" I, I could barely I, I could barely speak to you. I was so happy and I was so overwhelmed with with emotion. I, I couldn't really articulate to you you know how I felt. I watched it back and I just I couldn't I couldn't I didn't it didn't sound like me. And and I think I'd been through so much in that year. The the the, the lowest of lows. Um, 
you know, mentally, physically, but the highest of highs. And that game too put us on the on on the map. It, it it sort of that's why I love the BBL Cup so much because that's the first piece of silverware, and it kind of puts you guys there on the on that um, I don't know that 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 pedestal and gives like that, that that team that that unit that confidence that they can go on and win. And that's what it was for us. We you know we knew we could we could beat. You know Newcastle in, 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 on any stage, and, and that's that's why we went on to, to win the treble after that. And you know it's a great team that one because you you know you drew Sullivan, you Dyer Taylor, you a young pup Jamal Anderson, a young pup Connor Washington. <laughs> I mean, I think if I remember, you're right. Williams was even part of that team. That's um, right. That's right. And, yep. um the old guy. What was his name? The old guy. The old guy. Oh yeah, Barry Lamble. Um, I really hope he listens to this. That's only why I said it. I knew exactly who it was. Um, I mean, but it, you know, it's such a great group of characters within that, and I, you know, I can totally understand that must have been a just a fun bunch. It was, and what where we were so. I mean, Jay Cousinard, Zaya Taylor as well. Mm. Where we were so selfless as well. We we didn't have the guy that needed to take twenty shots a game. We were very defensive orientated as well. I'd still argue we were the best defensive team even to this to this day. Um, and Drew Sullivan's ability to, to to guard one through one through five was 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 key for us as well. And yeah, it was it was fun. I look back those fond memories, and they were just they're the best I would ever I'd ever have. Now I've made some close friends on some of the other teams. Um, so Tyler Bernardini to this day, he's mm. one of my best best friends. Um, but there was something really special about that first year that um, that I'll cherish, and the, the guys on that team, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll remember for for life. I mean, it was a, it was a great run for you. But I mean, thirty one years of age, you retired, and you know you'd had three knee surgeries at that point. Was that a factor, or was was there other factors involved in deciding to you know relatively young age to go? I don't want to play professional basketball anymore. Yeah, so I was um, it, I was twenty eight when I had the um, the big the big knee blow. So mm. it was twenty seconds before halftime up in Newcastle. I caught the ball like I'd done a thousand times. And I was just about to shoot it over Charles Smith, and boom! I felt like a hot explosion in my in my knee. I had a complete rupture of the patella tendon. Now I was out for the rest of the season, and I and I fought like hell to get back. I was I'm, all, I'm I think I'm naturally someone who has a positive mindset. Mm. I got back, you know, past the first knee surgery back at Plymouth, and in my mindset was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it again. Um, and and I, and I got back to to Riders, and I think the the issue I had, I was on the best team in the country as well at the time, so it wasn't exactly an easy <laughs> an easy um, team to to break into. But uh, you know, I found a way. But I think, in all honesty, Mark, I can honestly say to you, brutally honestly, I wasn't as good as I was before. Now I would have one game. I remember one game. I think it was uh, I was up in Manchester. Uh, I had twenty and ten. I was player of the uh, team of the week. Sorry, and I thought I'm back. I'm back. And the next three or four games, I couldn't. I couldn't get those numbers. In. I couldn't maintain that level of of play as what I did before. So I think every now and now I'd show a, a glimpse of perhaps what I was, but I wasn't as good of a player as, as I was. I think mentally and physically, for whatever reason, I just couldn't do it. And my knee just. I was in pain a lot. I was. I think it goes back to the the instability of of the BBL as well. I knew that, you know, the, these contracts are very fickle, and they're not that Leicester Riders did this because they were very honourable. They they supported me throughout my whole injury. But I think when you get burned once, you're always got that um, fear that it could happen again. So a lot of it was pretending that I was okay, but I was I really wasn't okay. Um, I needed a third surgery um, in between um, the 2015-16 season. And that surgery didn't really correct it, and um, to a point where I could I could do uh, you know, could, what was it mobile? The pain was still there, 
Um, so I kind of knew in between those two seasons that I needed to, I needed to I needed to get out. And what I did is after my second knee surgery, I enrolled into Loughborough University. Again, a little bit of luck with the partnership just forming at the right time. It was a partnership between the Leicester Riders and Loughborough University. And they uh, they have got one of the best business, uh, school of business kind of economics in Europe. And that was an interest of mine. I always liked business, always intrigued by business, didn't understand it. And I thought, you know what, I, I want to I want to propel myself into something that's completely different. Where you'll see, a, 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 I think, a resemblance to, to, to me in this, Mark, is that, you, you know, when you have a child, your mind changes. Mm. And, and I wanted to... I wanted to make sure I could provide for my family, and I knew my my stock in basketball was 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 on the decline. It was going one way, and unfortunately, it was not the way I wanted it. So, what I did is I enrolled into Loughborough University, and after the during the last two years of my playing career, I studied. Um, which I look back now, it was so hard. A newborn practice rehab late night studying it was brutal but I just I just knew I had to, I had to do it um, and, and I did it. So I think. Sorry, long-winded answer to your question. I think I knew the end was nearing for me after the the 2014-15 season where I I just couldn't – I try, I give it everything. I think I could look you in the eye and say I, I give this everything and I just couldn't get my body where I wanted it to be. And I was 29 at the time. So I, I retired at 30. I stepped away at 30 and I thought it was um, – I thought it was a time to do it, and it was, which made it real hard because Russell Levenstone offered me another contract, which was made it very hard. Um, but I, I needed to, I needed to, to go cold turkey, and I needed to get out. But you went from trying to put up numbers into another career that's all about numbers, which is the financial <laughs> services industry. I like that, I like that segue. Um, and you know, now you're a, a financial advisor, financial planner. You got a you know, diploma in regulated financial planning. I think the official job was wealth, wealth management consultant, was that what we would call it? That's right, yeah. That, that was right. Like, it sounds fancy. Um, <laughs> I mean, from that point of view, I mean, let, let's let's link the two careers together a bit here, though. Um, you know, th- there is an instability about the life of a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's it's very different if you're Lewaldang or Ove Soko to you playing your in the BBL or your former teammates. What do you wish you'd known back then to prepare yourself, both you know, educationally, but probably more financially, for a life post-hoops? All of it, Mark. All of it. I really wish I'd know now what I, you know, what I know now. I wish I could take it back, back mm. then. Um, I think... I had a, a quiet arrogance too that I was invincible. I got through four years of the most grueling training and game schedules in the in the NCAA, you know, United States. Never missed a game four years. Got to the pro life. Didn't really get injured until I was twenty six. Then the you know invincibility just sort of obviously I wasn't invincible anymore. I was like, oh dang it, I'm not invincible. And I wish I the my mindset was like that too. I genuinely thought I was going to be one of these guys that could keep playing basketball till he was forty. I, I thought I would have the the destiny in my own hands. And with that invincibility, I think comes naivety and lack of lack of um, um, I don't know lack of willingness to to sort of get outside and 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 educate yourself on other things. You know, especially with BBL players, for instance, as well. Okay, you don't make silly amounts of, of mm. money um especially some of the individuals you just you just named but what you do do is you have very very little outgoings you know most um british basketball players that are that are in that seven man eight man rotation they they they've got a, a house a car 
and their and their and their salary. And again, the salary is not going to be amazingly high, but there's no expenditure. There's you don't really even have to pay for I don't know electric bills, council tax, car payments that normal people have to pay for now. Um, and I didn't get that too. I thought everyone just got free houses and cars. <laughs> it's just that goes back to the naivety of, of me. You know, is this normal to work two three hours a day and get your bills paid for you? So it, I wish I just knew. Because where, where, where my point is, is that the disposable income isn't really, you know, I wasn't a guy that needed to spend lavishly as well. I was very simple. And, uh, you know, I could have saved so much more and not just saved. I could have I could have invested it or I could have put it in a tax exempt environment so it could grow. And, you know, I could have did so many more things, I think, that would have benefited me in the long run. And it's short sightedness. You know, you don't want to put into a pension because you can't access it to your you know, age 57 or you don't want to put into a to, to an ISA because you either you don't understand it or you feel like you, you need to spend it now so there's little things like that where discipline can go an extremely long way um, and give you a great head start in life um, it really can and, and I'll preach this now to lots of players and, and I'll, I'll tell a lot of players now and they're looking at me I'm thinking man and when I was 24 I just look at this guy too but I, I think it's my um I think it's my responsibility now, having gone through it myself, is to to provide the education piece and information piece on on, on maybe it'll get through to someone and and they'll they'll be able to ben, benefit from it in the long long run. I, mean, I was speaking to a player um, recently, and you know they were talking about level of salaries and uh, you know a bit like you did. You know, do I want to keep doing this? You know, I've reached that age. Do I want to I can see a future? Do I want to keep earning X in the BBL or do I want to? go outside the game and, and, and try and earn probably more money that way as well. Um, I mean, when you're talking to players like that, and, you know, you, you and I know who, you know, we're around them all the time. Um, what do you say to them about about that call? Because you, know, you could probably, as you said, make more of what you earn. But it's about the long game, isn't it? You know, it's about, you know, whether you want to start a family or get married or do something that's you know, more satisfying as a career but a lot of time it is about the money it's a difficult one because I'll, I'll first ask is do you, you know do you enjoy playing basketball is this is this your dream job and is this what you still want to do if they say yes i'll say keep doing it because you've got the rest of your life to earn money i think we get so caught up on, on money 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 but you know if you work hard and you, you're disciplined in certain areas of your life you're going to make you know you'll be able to have put yourself in opportunities to make money. Now, if the answer to the question is no, you don't really enjoy it, you're just doing it for the money, then that's when you you, you, you should probably consider leaving the sport and starting another career. Because you've you got to remember, the longer you're in basketball, that little bit harder it is, or at least that the years you're taking away from you to getting up the ladder in your in your next in your next career. So if you're money motivated and you want to, you're really excited about the next chapter, then I'd always say to someone, look, you've got to you've got to get out and explore and, and learn and and, uh, and and try and discover what you want to do. But if you're still enjoying it, I've had this conversation with a number of guys over over the years, um, and they've asked for my opinion, and I and I just said, look, you cannot go back to sport. You can always be a financial planner you can be a financial planner to your 65 if you really wanted to but you can only play basketball for a short amount of time in a window you know you know are you sure you want to forego that are you sure you want to, to to let that go so it, it depends on the individual and there's no right or wrong answer and you know ultimately that individual has to make the choice but uh, you know sports are remarkable you, so many few people get to do it and you know people can complain all they want about the facilities the, the money etc but you get to say you're a professional basketball player that 99 percent of college athletes don't get to say and it's it's remarkable 
What do you think players can do? And there's an education piece here, and you know some of the the new BBL schemes are starting to address this. But what what do you think players? You you've had that successful transition, and it's worked. What do you think players can do more of? I mean, you getting a masters, that's the easy one here. But what do you think they can do more of to be ready when that time comes, whether it's forced upon them, whether it's the choice? What else uh, is there in that that equation to be prepared? I think um, it depends on the, the individual, but what I can tell you they shouldn't do is they shouldn't play video games for six to eight hours a day. They shouldn't <laughs> watch Netflix. It's true. You get so much free time in, in, in basketball, and I didn't realize this as well until, again, until it gets taken away from you, but you get so much free time. You know, Maybe I could have done something earlier. Instead of playing FIFA for six hours a day, maybe I could have done something earlier in my career. And it doesn't have to be academics as well. You know, There's, there's other talents you know, players have these days, creatives. You know, we've seen it, haven't we? We've seen cross players who have other you know, modeling contracts or, or other, um, other jobs, other roles, etc. So, you know, it's just applying your time. The free time you do have in a day, it's applying that and, and trying to discover what you want to do instead of just going on cruise control. Because I think the biggest fear I had, Mark, and I think that's what helped me, is the biggest fear I, I had was that um, I was just Anthony Rowe, the basketball player. And I can't explain to you why. I don't know why it was. a. I was so afraid of not being able to succeed in something else. And that was my motivation. And I wanted something completely different to basketball. I wanted something completely outside of my comfort zone. Um, so I think the individuals have to look on it on a case-by-case basis. Um, but they need to do something. I think cruise control and thinking that someone's going to give you something because you play professional basketball, that's going to get you in trouble. And that's going to lead to uh, possible complications. I think sometimes guys think like that because when you get to your NCAA, everything's given to you. Get to pro, you know, you're a pro. Oh, some, one of the sponsors is going to give me a job. You know, that doesn't work like that. Life, life doesn't care if you scored 20 points a game. It's you might be lucky you get a GM who loves basketball, but chances are they don't care. Um, so you just you have to do something else. Don't just be Mr. Basketball Player. There you go. Anthony Rowe, available for all your investment needs. Um, <laughs> let's, let's circle back to finish off here. Um, let's talk trophy final. In London, last Sunday, warm-up, beat Cheshire by eight. Probably Nick's holding a few things back. Um, what's your prediction? Oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? It really is, and I, I was kind of, I was happy and sad that we got a little preview last Sunday. Um, I think, I think you're right in that. Knicks may have been held in something back, and Neymar Wright is someone I got to watch, you know, week in week out when he was down in Leicester. He's good. He's he's really good. He's he's efficient and um, he, he scores the ball, but he's got good energy on defense. So you know, he didn't play on Sunday, and you hope he's back in the equation. For, for for this Sunday because uh, you know Knicks are already a little bit thinner on rotation with Ben Mockford mm-hmm. um, departing for France so um, I, I think yeah I think Knicks have possibly got another gear but saying that I think London have another gear too and you know I think when it's all you know when you really look at it London do have the biggest player budget and, and by quite a substantial margin by the sounds of it so you know if they go a whole season without winning anything. Is is that one of the biggest you know underachieving teams of 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 Bebo history? No, it's probably got to be up there, isn't it? So I think London have got a different type of pressure on them. They they just they have to get this this trophy. I think the the, the pressure is more so on London to to um to get it done, and they've got players that I, I quite 
I look and they they quite I think they like that that high stake situation. I think Cugini's a guy that that will will better shoot his, shoot himself out of trouble and and want to have that responsibility on his back. Derek Williams is for me is is the an MVP candidate that's just got better and better every year. I think he's a great example of, of a of a player that that's just got just improved and, and he loves our British game. That's why he stays and I think he's a credit. I think having guys like him is just is a credit to the to, to the league. And I think he's a guy that again doesn't get phased by the occasion. I think he carried them a lot in European competition. And then the question marks on Reese, Isaiah Reese. Um I think they're a completely different team without him. And that doesn't go to say that maybe Justin Robinson, former MVP, maybe he's getting his confidence going. You know, we've seen him make shots over the last couple of weeks. Um, if if Isaiah Reese is there, is that a big disadvantage because they've got Justin Robinson? So, oh, I, I think I think London Lions are the favourites. Mark, I would go out there and say that I'm. I, I think London Lions are the favourites, but Cheshire Phoenix for me, they just got something different there. I got. I think they've got one of the best centres in the league. By the way, I think Mike Archerobia, he's not flashy. But he is the most, or will be one of the most efficient centers you'll get in the BBL this year, and he's really good. He's he's tough. Um, and Larry Austin Jr. has has been that has been that that absolute you know motor for them guys. So I don't know. There's a lot of different. I've named lots of different players, there, and, and I think that's why I'm struggling to to come to a conclusion, just because it could go any other way. And and London aren't as invincible as. I thought they would be this point of the season. I looked at some of those European games and thought, oh, by the time we get to March, those guys are going to be rolling. And they're not. Um, they're just not. Yeah, I think even some of the wins they've had have not been convincing. Um, so this trophy final, um, you know, as a commentator, as a fan, I just want a close game. <laughs> I just want a, <laughs> I want a really good close game. Uh, that's, that's, that's my wish. <laughs> my my tuppence on this one is I, we're, we're along the lines at the same lines here. I think if Cheshire are within five points, three minutes into the third quarter, they win this game. If, if Lions are up by 10 at halftime, which they could be at their best, yeah. they win. But I think there is so much on this London team because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the, they're the greatest underachievers since last season's London team. But if they mm. don't win anything this season, it's quite a lot. It's quite a lot indeed. So I think it's a fascinating final. I don't think it's, but yeah, I'm going to go with it's, inter- it's, it's interesting too, Mark. I, I, my my take on it as well. I don't know what yours is, but I, I think that the the London Lions roster is better this year than yeah. it is last year as a yeah. team. However, last year would be perceived as more successful, wouldn't it? Because they they you know I mean look they could win the playoffs. So we were we, this might all be premature. You know they, they you know, they're struggling to win one trophy, but they might have a strong finish and they might win the. The, the, the playoffs and the league isn't in the bag yet as well like we had a little bit of a oh okay Riders had a uh, finally got another loss against Manchester on Sunday so it's not in the bag but you know we want to pres- you know we want to assume it is but um it's not in the bag so um yeah as it stands right now though yeah it's I, I would agree it's, it's an under underachievement for that Lions team yeah well there you go live in Sky Sports this Sunday afternoon WBBL final or trophy final kicking it all off or tipping it off from one o'clock um last three big three questions if you could trade any places with anyone for a day who would you trade it with oh wow what life in general yeah oh goodness me um i would like to be i would like to be Barack obama about 10 years ago just because yeah. he had access to a really flashy basketball court every day <laughs> in his house <laughs> 
guess I don't think I'd have time to play basketball. I'd be trying to trying to run the run the country well. No, but I I think he's a guy that um you know I think world leaders are short in supply now. Like if you think of world leaders or country you know national leaders that people actually the majority respect and or admire, the few and far between. I think he's one of the more recent leaders I've seen that had it together. There's, there's always going to be critics, of course, but had it together. So I would like to have a yeah maybe a day in his in his shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barack Obama. If you the um, if you could choose one superpower, what would you choose and what would you do with it? I would. I would like to. I would like to heal. I think. I think that would be my my superpower and that would come with a lot of stress and a lot of responsibility but I think when you see things in the world you, you want to I don't know I'm someone I like I like to fix I like to fix things so yeah I would be superhero I'd make sure that all of my family my friends are, are taken care of and um, yeah or take I would take public requests as well for the most needy and your own knee <laughs> yes yeah. and then I you could retire Exactly. Yeah, thirty-six years old. I've got, got a couple more up and downs left to do. Mark, that is great. I'm definitely. I'm so so happy with my answer now. Yes. <laughs> the final one. Yeah. If you could broadcast from one arena, where would you choose? Plymouth Pavilions, because I don't know how long I've got the opportunity to do it. I remember the last time we were down there in January, and again, I, I sound like a, a very emotional and sentimental. But I remember sitting there thinking. This might be the last time I ever call a game or watch a game in here, and it felt amazing. So that would be the, the evolution for me from a schoolboy in the crowd to, to me doing full circle, you know, being a professional or a commentator, you know, being able to call a game. Um, so, yeah, Plymouth Pavilions. There you go. So if, if Sky Sports cameras are there one more time this season, if you see someone walking out afterwards with a desk and a chair, you'll know who it is. <laughs> Peeling stuff off the walls. Anything you can get from memorabilia. That was it. I used to have a. It was like a fifteen foot foot poster of me on the side of the building, but they they took they took that down, Mark. So it's, it's definitely time. It's definitely time to move on from pavilions now. I think <laughs> you can never have too many souvenirs. Anyway, um, he's live this Sunday. Him and Dan, whole crew, watch the trophy finals at Road. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, mate. That's it for this edition. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast via your preferred provider or just ask Google or Alexa or your speaker of choice to play MVP Cast. Always great to, you, to hear from you as well. If you want to reach out, get me on Twitter at Mark Brittle. Another edition coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, thank you so much for listening and it's goodbye. <laughs>